0: Well, we just read First uh, Corinthians 13, and there we are, challenged with this whole wonderful hymn, it seems, about, about love, or poem about love. But it's got a context. Paul isn't just writing a letter, and then he turns a page thinks, well, I'll just uh, write about love now. No, it's in a context, and chapters 12 to 14 of First Corinthians are definitely a, a unit, and 1 Corinthians 13 is right there in the middle. So then he's talking about love in the context of his wider talking about don't get so maxed out about this, let's say, speaking in tongues, doing miracles, etc. because the greatest thing is love. So it's in a context. It's in a context. And here in 1 Corinthians 13, there's a word which occurs at least four times. And it's translated differently each time in most of the English versions. And so if you've got highlight a highlighter pen or a pen or some, something, you may like to just circle or underline or highlight this word. Verse eight, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 Love doesn't fail, where there's prophecies, they shall fail. That word fail there. Verse ten, when that which is perfect is come, That which is in part shall be done away. The word done away. It's the same Greek word as you've got there in verse 8, translated, fail. Prophecies will fail. And then when you you come, and also, sorry, in verse 8, where he says that uh, knowledge will vanish away. Vanish away is also this same Greek word. Vanish away, done away, fail. So he's saying that there, there will come a time when these gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of speaking in, in tongues, of prophesying, knowledge, etc., is, is going to finish. And then in verse 11, he uses the same word about himself. He says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, but now that I have become a man, I put away childish things. And that Greek word translated put away is this same word we've just had three times talking about how the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to finish, going to be done away. And so Paul says, now that I am mature, I have also put away those things. So it seems to me that although, as Paul says, he spoke in tongues more than any of them, he had access to all these miraculous gifts. I take 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul's saying, you know, I could do all those things, I've done all those things, but now I have totally seen love. And I have given over my life to love. That this, the life of love, is the mature thing. I was a child and I did all these things. I became a a man, a mature person, and I put these things away. They vanished, did them away. And so when he talks about that which is perfect is going to come, that which is mature, I would say that in Paul's personal context, he's talking about the maturity of love. And he hints at this at the end of chapter 12, verse 31. He talks about, well, desire the gifts through which you can serve other people as much as you can, but a still more excellent way... Show I unto you. As if he's saying, yeah, okay, you can have all this ministry with the spirit gifts, but I show you a better way. And the better way is what he himself had come to to realize. He wasn't doing those miracles anymore, although he could, because he had seen the absolute supremacy of love. And so he's giving his life, as I read him here, to the life of radical love and a hymn that was far more important, that was far more mature than being able to speak in foreign languages even raise the dead, do miracles etc. And so that shows, if nothing else the supreme importance of love, as he says elsewhere love is the bond or the proof of maturity that Often it comes out in life that it's not a case of is this the right decision or should I do this or should I do that. It's a question of what is the mature decision. Maybe it's not also black and white in many of the questions we face, but the question is rather what is the mature decision. And he says, as I say elsewhere, that love, the the, the principle of love, the life given over to loving others and loving God and having love as the absolute pinnacle of everything for us. But that is the mature life. And I think that's why he says in verse 13 at the end, well, there's faith, hope, and love. And you know, Paul's always on about those three together. But he says the greatest is love. Because in the kingdom, there will be no faith, if you like, because faith will be turned aside. Now is the age for faith. But then there will be no faith. There will be no hope, because hope will have been realized in the kingdom of God having finally come here on earth. And yet the one thing that is, as it were, a continuity between our lives today and the eternal life is love. That is what will be in the kingdom, and that is what, of course, we can have now. And so in that sense, I think he's saying that let's live the kingdom life now, as far as we can. Love will be the essence of God's kingdom. So let's live that life now. So that just points up the, the colossal importance of love. And it concerns me, it worries me no end, and I really mean this, that many Christians, many of our own community, it really can't give sensible answers to questions like, what is love? What is love? I mean, we all have some uh, idea, we'd all trot out something, but there's a, a, a huge lack of knowledge about this, of understanding. Say to somebody, could you explain to me the beasts in Daniel 7? Oh, yeah, sure. Bomba, bum, bum, bom. This is what it means. Okay, fine. Okay, and love? Oh, what, what, well, sort of being, being kind to each other, being, being, a, being a top guy, being a nice bloke, or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a closer lack like of understanding. And so he himself, I think, woke up to this. And he says, look, I, now I see it. I've put away all those miracles and all that, I could do them, but no. The mature way, Paul suggests, the more excellent way, is not all the dramatic stuff, it is the life of love. And of course, we know that the the gifts of the Spirit in that sense, that they were used in the first century, will not be necessary in God's kingdom healing the sick, etc., speaking in, in other languages so that other people from other nations can understand our message, all that won't be needed ultimately in the aeons of eternity of God's kingdom. But what there will be is love. And so... Just to, again, point up the importance of a life of love, just look at verse 2. He says, even though I've got the faith that could move mountains, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Well, he's alluding there, Matthew twenty-one, twenty-one, where the Lord Jesus says, if you believe, you'll say to this mountain, move, and it will move. The scary thing is, and I mean, this should scare the pants off us, that you can have that faith to move a mountain, and God will hear your prayer and say, okay, mountain move, and it moves. But you cannot have love, and ultimately, you're nothing. But I think God so respects faith that he's prepared to to hear the the prayer of faith, even if there's no love. But, okay, so you get the answer to your prayer, and you examine yourself, and you think, well, I must be doing something right, God's hearing my prayer. But not so. If you don't have love, ultimately, the bottom line is you are nothing. Now, verse 4, love is... Is patient. Long-suffering. Patient. And we might think, well, patient, that means that, uh, let's say I, I, I go down a bus stop to get, to, get a bus and, hey, I forgot, my, I, I forgot the house keys and I, I forgot to lock, to lock the apartment. Hey, you know, and you know, some people take it calmly, and they walk back, and they get the keys, and they lock their door, and they go back to the bus stop, and it's like they're not phased. And other people, like our world has collapsed around them because they forgot the keys or whatever it might be. And to some degree, and I emphasise to some degree, that is a matter of personality. And I'm not sure that that's what he means when he says love is patient. Let's have a look at Matthew eighteen twenty six, where I think we we have an example of the love that is patient. This is the, the parable that the Lord Jesus told about the man with this ridiculous debt. And he goes to his Lord and uh, falls in front of him and says, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And you know, the story goes on, he's forgiven, and the Lord says, okay, that's fine. And so the guy goes out and grabs hold of a fellow that owes him 100 pence and says, pay me what you owe and uh, is mean with him, etc. So he doesn't appreciate that forgiveness. But my point in this context is that he says, Lord, have patience with me. Same word, love is patient. So then, God was waiting, or Jesus, whoever the Lord is in the story, is waiting. He's patient. He sees us with a huge long list of debt to him, which we can never pay, and he says, well, I will wait. Now, Maybe we don't have people that owe us money, but we have, each of us has people who owe us an awful lot of things. We've all been wronged and hurt, maybe more than we like to realize, but we have been. And so the way of love is to not demand that, is to not say, look here, we're not going on in our relationship until you put this right, you did this to me. Alter to my kids, to my wife, to my parents, to my family, to my this, to me, me, me. And you've got to put that right. Now, I, I know there is a place for, for reconciliation and, and, and truth and, and etc. But in terms of forgiveness, and that is what I'm emphasizing, we are to be patient. We are to live with the patience that waits for that person to maybe change. That is the love that is patient. Now we go on. Verse 5, love is not easily provoked. Now this is referring to a load of Old Testament passages that talk about Israel provoking God. But how patient was he with them? For centuries he put up with being married, as it were, to a woman who was sexually addicted, going off to other men, etc., being totally unfaithful, and he was not easily provoked. What a challenge to us. Love seeks not her own. And you see how love now is being personified as, as a woman, as a person. Because we are to be this woman, this person. Love seeks not her own. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10.24, Paul has said, Let no man seek his own, but every man his neighbors good. And it's in the context of not doing what you want to do. It's in the context of this uh, thing about eating meat offered to idols. And he's saying, don't think about what's okay for you, and that is what it's okay in my conscience, it's all fine for me. Think of the other, and what your actions and attitudes and positions are going to do to that person. Don't seek your own. Love seeks not her own. You see the theme there in Corinthians. And, and likewise, when he says that love is not puffed up in verse 8. Love is not puffed up. But he's just been talking about that in First Corinthians 8, verse 1, where he says that knowledge puffs up. And he's talking again in the context of the person who says, well, I know that an idol is nothing in the world. I know that it's all nonsense, so I I can eat meat offered to idols. Why shouldn't I? He has the right knowledge, but it's puffed him up. And so when it says that love is not puffed up, I think the idea is that love manages our knowledge. Love restrains us from using our knowledge, our superiority in one point or another. The worst thing, I think, to, to see was me as a young guy, as a teenager... Arguing with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I knew my Bible, and they knew some some parts of the Bible. They didn't know the, the, the text of Scripture. I can say as well as I did at, at that age, and so I would argue with these fellows, and I, I would tie them up in knots and say, "There you are, like checkmate." Now I would come along to our meetings on Sunday and say, "Hi, oh, Duncan, how are you?" "Ah, oh, yeah, great. How was your week?" "Oh, I met those JWs again. You know what I had? I'm tied up in knots." I didn't even get it. I didn't understand. I had no maturity. Love was not there. Knowledge had puffed me up. My little bit of knowledge, it seemed to me a lot because I knew more than these other guys. But knowledge puffs up. And when you know God's word, and when you know God's truth, this is a, the more you know it, the bigger the temptation is to be puffed up. And I believe our community has not done well in this. Verse 7, love bears, the revised version, love covers. Not in pretending I didn't see, that's a naive approach to, to human sin and misbehavior, but covers, in the sense that God knows our sin, does not turn any blind eye, but covers. That's an absolute challenge. We tend to see failure and weakness in others, and we have to comment about it, and we have to tell other people, How much of the gossip that is indulged in in our own lives and the lives of the whole planet is to do with other people's weakness? It's nearly all to do with that. But love bears, love covers, alluding, of course, to how the Lord Jesus bore our sins. Now, that's just a few thoughts here from 1 Corinthians 13. And yet, Paul, it seems to me, is, is... setting us an ideal, because he himself did not actually live up to all this. And I don't say that to make us feel better, but it's observable here. Verse 5, for example, it says, love is not easily provoked. Same word, same Greek word, Acts 15:39, where it says that Paul had a contention, and it's the same word, he had a provocation. He was provoked with Barnabas, and they had an argument. Over John Mark. And they had such an argument, such a provocation, that they split. And so Paul is saying here, look, love isn't like that. And I think he says that, looking back at his own life, and saying, well, you know, I didn't quite get there. Verse 2, he says, that if you don't have love, you are nothing. And the only time that that phrase you are nothing, or a person, I am nothing, he says, verse 2, if I have all faith, blah, 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 no love, I am nothing, is again used by Paul, 2 Corinthians twelve eleven, about himself, where he says, I am nothing. Same three Greek words. As if he's saying, well, in a sense, I fear I don't have that love, and so I am nothing. Finally, in, in that context, verse 12, now we see, he says, in a mirror darkly, but then we will see face to face. He's quoting from the Septuagint there, Numbers 12, verse 8, about Moses, where we're told that Moses uh, saw God, in terms of the angel perhaps, face to face. And as the Old Testament says, that uh, God was not revealed to Moses darkly in similitudes, but face to face. And Paul is saying, well, only in the future will I see face to face, as if, well, I'm still seeing through a glass darkly, because I haven't quite got the full maturity of love. But, 2 Corinthians 3:18, written, of course, sometime later, <clears throat> when he's writing again to Corinth, he says, We, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and are changed into that same image. So, it seems to me that he's saying, by the time of 2 Corinthians 3, look, the veil is off me, I am seeing face to face, and that glory is being reflected off my face, and I'm changing. But here, he says, well, at the moment I'm seeing through a glass darkly, in dark similitudes, but I believe in the future I will see face to face. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I think he's saying, you know, I'm getting there. So, his appreciation of love, as in the lives of so many Bible characters, and as in our own lives, increases Very slowly, irritatingly slowly. But the perfection, the maturity, the bond of perfection, of maturity, is this kind of love. And so let's not think that because we have faith, because we have hope, because we have answered prayer, because in many aspects of our lives we are living as people of God and we have a heart for God, if we do not have this love, We are nothing. Now, I know you know this, and I know you have read this, and I know this sounds so obvious, but just try to catch the the glimpse that I get of, of Paul's idea of a more excellent way. That he grasped the life that is wholly given over, wholly dedicated to love. What is better for these people around me for this person in my life, for that person. Not seeking our own. Restraining our knowledge. Love is not puffed up like knowledge puffs up. Bearing all things as Jesus bored our sins. Rejoicing with the truth. And not wanting to get involved in gossip about other people's lives, weakness, sin, failure, the sort of things that entertainment is absolutely full of in this world. No. The life of love is beyond that. And with Paul, at this point, when he's writing here in 1 Corinthians 13, I say the same, that I I see it. But I am getting there. But I'm far, far from there. And maybe it's no comfort to me at all, but maybe, I suspect, you all know what I mean. But, all the same, let us, in this quiet moment, just get it, that this is the life. This is the life. The life of outgoing love, of selflessness, of self-sacrifice, of bearing all things, not being puffed up, being patient for others' repentance, rejoicing in that which is true. Knowing that by doing that, we are living the kingdom life, which, as I've said, will be all about love, because faith and hope will have passed away then. We are living the kingdom life now insofar as we give ourselves over 100% to the life of love.